When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige film. Today, we're going to be talking about 1980s The Elephant Man. It was directed by David Lynch. It stars Anthony Hopkins, John Hurt, and Anne Bancroft. The youngest I've ever seen, Anthony Hopkins. Mm -hmm. I guess John Hurt, for that matter. Uh, It's screenplayed by Christopher DeVore, Eric Bergman, or Bergman, rather, and uh, David Lynch. It's based on a few uh, historical documents. about the elephant man john merrick's life uh the one in particular it gets a lot of his information from is the elephant man and other reminiscences reminiscences by frederick treves uh john merrick's friend and kind of benefactor throughout his life um i'm interested because like i was a little nervous when i i I saw this movie come up because this movie's got some kind of special meaning to me but i i saw i saw it was directed by david lynch and i'm like i saw this as a kid and I don't remember wild David Lynch shit in it, but like, I know that that's, that's Jim's kryptonite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what, how did you find the elephant man directed by David Lynch? Uh, I found it not to be very Lynchy. And although I will say like, I was a little worried <laughs> because that opening scene is pretty Lynchian and, and a lot of it in the opening uh, parts is like no dialogue. It's just a man walking through the streets, but also, it's overlaid with this soundscape of like very strange animal noises, and there's a a sequence at the beginning that I wasn't sure what I was seeing. It was an elephant yeah. being overlaid over a woman's face, and her screaming and fire, and I I didn't know what I was seeing in typical David Lynch fashion, and I was like, oh, oh, he's done it to me. He's <laughs> I was tricked the- me. And I thought the same thing. I'm like, oh, fuck, this is a Lynchian as shit movie. And I've thrown Jim into the elephant's cage. Um, But essentially, other than like 60 seconds up front and maybe 60 seconds in the uh, in the in in the end of the film. Yeah. And a couple of splashes here and there. Hmm. uh, This is a pretty one of the most straightforward pieces I've ever seen David Lynch direct. Yes. Um, About a very. I liked it. uh, and and it's about a very peculiar, I mean, maybe you don't need a lot of Lynchian uh, stuff when you've got the pathos of this material because, and, and that's the one of the things is like, um, they definitely, uh, for um, a historical picture or a period piece about a real person, they definitely did the thing where they rearranged certain events and they fabulized others to make it seem like the elephant man was even a more pitiable condition than he was. But it almost feels mean to point that out because I can't imagine a life more, you know, yeah. tragic and 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 difficult to to get through, especially with your dignity intact, which is what this film is all about. Than than Mr. Merrick here. Um, yeah. I mean, my God, uh, do we, do we want to maybe uh, maybe that's something I because I, I feel like I've gotten bad at this. I wait until it's like 30 minutes in to, to tell people what this movie is about. Um, this is a movie shot in 1980, but it's about a man who lived in the late 19th century, John Merrick, who had a congenital condition. Um, there's been lots of theories about what it is. I think the 
current one is protein uh, dis- disease or disorder. But the long shot is that at the around the age of five, he had um, extensive growth start forming in his bones and his skin. They weren't like cancerous, but they're just these huge patches of rough and irregular kind of warty skin. Um, his head and def- uh, uh, face became disfigured to the point that he is speaking intelligently. It was hard for him. Uh, one of his arms was as massive and deformed, um, and it just got progressively worse throughout his life. Um, and his appearance, uh, you know, caused him to become like a stir on the freak show market as the elephant man. And it's how he provided for himself for the majority of, of his life. Um, and you know, it's, it, it'd be tough like that if you're born today, but back in the, you know, jolly old England and the Victorian era, um, it, it was, it was even tougher. And there's a lot, a lot of grim shit in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about essentially his life. This doctor who finds him at a freak show, takes him in, uh, introduces him to society and kind of gives him his human dignity. Um, or I, I, I even think that maybe that's given the doctor too much credit. Um, he's, he's letting him blossom as much as he can in, in the confines of the, the, the life he finds himself in. And, yeah. uh, I found it very affecting. There's a couple scenes that I thought were really moving. Um, the kindness that this man was shown. And in fact, it, like, you know, John Merrick, the elephant man uh, was just a good, like he didn't let any of this shit beat him down seemingly. And this is a well attested to account that like, he was very cheerful, civil, you know, uh, appreciative. Um, he didn't let any of this kind of like make him into uh, uh, this. just didn't let any of that like detract from, I guess, his inner light um, to say it in the sappiest way possible. And it's essentially uh, the, the story of uh, the later phases of his, his uh, career, his life. Of course, he yeah. died at a very young age. He was like 27 when he died. So, like, this is mm. not like, you know, a, a particularly happy movie, but it's also not an out and out tragedy. Um, I think that's a fair accountant uh, accounting of it. Uh, John Hurt plays John Merrick. Uh, Anthony Hopkins plays um, Dr. Treves, uh, mm-hmm. his benefactor. And they do a really good job. John Hurt in particular, I thought his performance under just tons and tons of makeup and effects was pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I heard some behind the scenes stuff about that. Uh, you know, the prosthetics and makeup required for that. And oh, my God, that seemed like mm-hmm. a special kind of hell for an actor. Yeah, um, because I guess they they did the makeup based on because the thing about John Merrick and the fact that he spent uh, the majority of his the the later phase of his life in a teaching hospital is that uh, they did lots of life casts of him. Um, you know, when he died, they uh, his his friend did a complete dissection of him. Um, you know, famously, his skeleton is mal. It's not. An, I I didn't know this because like I was prepared to like have a whole bunch of like I can't believe that. But they don't they don't display this stuff in public. Um, they have a museum to him in this hospital. Um, and they have like some of his personal effects and articles and whatnot. But it's actually a skeleton and like they they actually have pieces of a skin and life cast. Those are like an exclusive section. It's only available to like physicians and things people that visit the teaching hospital for like the purpose intended. So it's gotcha. not like because I, I kind of like, man, if they got this thing all exhibited and it's like, come and see the horrifying skeleton yeah. of one John Merrick, like that feels gross in a way that it's explored through the movie. But right. yeah, I, I, I don't have to get up on that hobby horse. So well done. 
teaching hospital in England. Um, <laughs> yeah, and well done, John Hurt, for acting you know so effectively through all of those prosthetics as well, and putting up with the the shit that it took to get that character on screen. Because uh, yeah, apparently he was working very long days. Apparently he had eight hours in the chair uh, getting oh, prepared yeah. for this with all the prosthetics and makeup and then another two hours removing it so as not to like destroy it so they could use it for the next day. It it sounded like a lot. Um, and, and it's interesting too, because this movie was nominated for a lot of awards. One of the awards that it was not nominated for because it didn't exist at the time was best makeups, uh, makeup. In, in Fascinating. So the Academy actually like got petitions from all of the, uh, like, uh, I don't know, American uh, unions for like effects artists and makeup and, and costuming and all that got petitions to like give them a, an honorary award for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't. They, they stuck to their guns on that. But the next year they invented the category for makeup. So this yeah. film directly got that category into the running for future Academy Awards. I thought that was really cool. It's neat to see kind of like Hollywood history. It's kind of like uh, uh, the Temple of Doom is what created the PG-13. Right. You know, it's like, what are the things that that made like, you know, the categories? And and it's one of those things where it's like you might think that these these categories are immutable and and whatnot. But every once in a while, uh, as as cinema progresses and um, the need to recognize different things, um, I, I. uh, did did, did I want did, was there a similar thing with digital effects? Do they have like a separate category of practical and digital effects? Because I, I feel like that's don't something. Recall that, but yeah, it should probably be. Yeah, I mean, in in because like I think I think practical effects are really cool, mm-hmm. and you know, even when they're used in modern day, like I I I, I wonder if they'd be used more if there was a category, an award category for them. But uh, the names of the categories change. That. that always trips me up when I'm doing my research for these older movies because right. like this is best screenplay adapted from or like adapted from original medium or another medium or something like that. Now it's just called right. best adapted screenplay. So like, right, right. Um, but I, I again, I, I think I, the the central figure of this guy, um. I can't imagine because the other thing is like um, I, that that's been the thing that's frustrated me in my adult life is every time I see a historical film and I'm like, oh, man, I got a lot of really cool life lessons and stuff from that. And I feel like I know this character and then I do some research and it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, they exaggerated this. They made up that they switched to timelines. So it's more <laughs> and it's like I feel like that's especially annoying in the case of this character, because like, again, it feels almost insulting that you need to punch up his life and make it more tragic. Yeah. Uh, did you do any? Because so, uh, full disclosure, I saw this movie shortly after it came out. Like it's a PG film. It got a lot of things on Oscars. Of course, my mom's going to sit me down and, and watch this as a family. And I was really moved um, to the extent that when I was in fifth grade, I did a whole like book report based on John Merrick's life. I read some of these original stuff. I watched a movie. Um, I appeared as John Merrick in costume with a big cloak over me. And my mom made a hunchback for me. And I had the the cap and the the cloak and all that kind of stuff. Damn. Um, and and delivered a class. Well, we all did. It wasn't like I did. It, I was being extra. But we all like gave you know, and and it really stuck with me. And I remember even back then being annoyed at like 
because I was like going to talk about the real tragedies of how he was. But like uh, he tried to work as best as he can at like, you know, in factory jobs and what. And when his disease progressed to the point where he could no longer do that, he voluntarily enlisted in uh, a traveling freak show uh, like a lot of you know, people with disabilities uh, and, and, and weird things did back then. And I guess split the profits 50, 50 with the guy, the, the carnival barker and was treated kindly and fairly well regarded. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in this movie, they make it seem like the guy who is the, the carnival director is just the worst sort of exploitative. Like he bought this kid on the open market and is making him be the elephant man. And it's just hellish experience. He's got, um yeah and, but but like uh then so there is a little bit of element in reality in this movie where um at the time like england started cracking down they started seeing these increasingly as it's inhumane to display people for curiosity and, and horror and all that kind of stuff which is one of those things where it sounds like a good idea but then if you're a traveling freak show and suddenly you're unemployable it's like fuck thanks for the help thanks right. for the help queen vicky um, so at this time he went to a European troop and, uh, uh, I guess this one, he did get mistreated. The guy robbed him, mm-hmm. um, beat him and kind of like, I don't know about left for dead, but as you know, the, the, the scene of him making his way back from escaping the, the thing, I guess that happened in real life, yeah. but that's like the very first thing, like before he met the doctor and was examined and all that stuff, he was coming back in ill health from Belgium and w- made his way to the hospital. So like they just amped up the 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 thing with the um the night security guard, mm-hmm. you know, uh, showing him off and all that that never happened as far as I can tell too. Um I wonder why. And I think this is this is the reason did you, did you read Roger Ebert's review cuz he kind of savaged this movie. Yeah, I think he was hard, too hard on this movie. Um but I do too. That's just how I feel about it. I think that that's what he was poking around the edges that like mm-hmm. it's kind of offensive to Take a, it'd be like uh, doing a thing about the Holocaust and I don't know, like making extra like like the Nazis are actually pitchfork welling demons and you're in literal hellfire and they're torturing your in, 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 immortal soul at the same time. They're dehumanizing you. It's like, God damn, do we need to add another layer of, of misery? And it, and also like um, I think the other thing that he was teasing around is that um, this movie as a as a result feels less about like John Merrick and like his impact on other people, which always I, I like Ebert's a very sensitive mm-hmm. guy was ahead of his time and a lot of like, I guess, social justice issues. And I think that that's the thing that was really fucking with him that like this is more about Anthony Hopkins character and his virtuosity. And I think that's true. Um, yeah. When I watch this film, I see it through the lens of Anthony Hopkins, not Merrick. Um, and and it's, you know, to speak to the inaccuracies of this movie, uh, I specifically refer to him as Merrick there because John is not his first name. The real uh, Merrick, uh, his first name was Joseph. And apparently in the manuscript of the book you talked about from the, the 20s, the 1920s, uh, that guy in the original manuscript had written down Joseph and crossed it out and written John in its place. So he in the book changes his name and then this movie is based on that book and so it just uses John Merrick as his name shit I, nobody knows why he crossed out Joseph like the real guy's name 
but scholarly mm-hmm. research has proved that like this guy's name actually was Joseph Merrick uh, and he changed it in the book. Fuck me. I had no I had no I had no clue about that. Why would you do uh, that? I, I knew it. I don't know because it sounds better. Uh, in what way, John? Like it's one syllable. Does that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I'm, I'm just searching for like, why the yeah. hell would you do that? Um, and not yeah, to protect I, his I anonymity or anything, because uh, like by all accounts, right. he did become this very famous like celebrity. Uh, yeah, yeah, like socialite type uh, dude who was not like looked at as a freak show, but uh, mm-hmm. just more of like a, a person by the end of his life. Um, yeah, it's strange to me. I don't know why you would do that, but this movie. I'm kind of surprised that the movie didn't do it went there, you know, like didn't change his name back to Joseph. Why wouldn't you? I wonder if they, is that recent scholarship or I don't know. And maybe it's because of this movie or maybe it's because of the, uh, um, the, the stage play that this movie is kind of like based on or influenced by mm-hmm. but like elephant man was, I had a moment in culture uh, in the cultural, pop culture knowledge like yeah I, I don't know if you remember this but like michael jackson got like really fascinated by him tried to right. buy a skeleton there was that yeah. um there was a couple of sh- movies and like miniseries based on him um it got i don't know i got like it, it had this kind of like zeitgeist because it is a gripping story mm-hmm. about a guy who's dealt about the worst hand you can possibly have and still find a way to live a, a full life and impact a lot of people's lives. And I guess a lot of that stuff is like 100% true. The yeah. fact that like the queen and the princess kind of lobbied for him um, as benefactors of the hospital to kind of overcome the, the fucking greed. And I, I don't know what that dude's problems like, you know, this hospital is only for people who can get better. The people that are permanently yeah. sick and uh, get to fuck them, fuck them, throw them in the streets. Like I, I you know, it's like, it's that kind of thing. Um, the fact that he built like you can see the little paper mache cathedral that he built uh, and a little museum to his life. Uh, uh, the fact that, you know, that they 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 took he got him dressed up and he got to go like have little outings and uh, it's essentially impress people with um, his humanity and mm-hmm. uh, how much like joy he had in his life, despite all the things. All that stuff seems to be true. Um and they don't I the thing is is like they I they don't really give a reason except for like I guess he was a, a genuinely devout Christian. Mm-hmm. And like that's like that faith kind of like, you know, that like uh this is this is a bad hand I'm dealt, but it's only gonna be temporary and I'll have my forever reward and I'm trying to be a good person. Like uh that I think that's something that seemed to genuinely give him a lot of hope and, and comfort in, in in bad times. Sure. Uh but this movie uh, definitely feels like it is more I'm with uh, Ebert here it feels like it is more about Anthony Hopkins coming to terms with his own ethics and morality um, during this whole uh, thing because yeah it, it's it's made pretty clear in the beginning of the movie that uh, Treves is essentially what they call him uh, he's just a competitive freak hunter right um, he goes out there and he finds the freaks uh, so that he can study them and present them before this other board of doctors or this this room full of researchers who can all applaud him for the marvel that he found. Right. Uh, I think it's unkind to call it like to say that he's a but I, I think what I you're think, saying is literally true. But like uh-huh. it's also like, you know, what is a doc? I mean, 
I, I don't know what a doctor of this age is supposed to do. Like they are cataloging and doing all kinds of finding all kinds of human misery and presenting them and studying them for cures of disease. And the bigger and more mm-hmm. unusual to find the bigger it's like, you know, if you the, the reason guys crawled through jungles to try to find birds and whatever is because they bring them to the Royal Society and they make their names. So it's like, uh, you know, I, it's like, yeah, OK, I, maybe there's a less exploitive way to do this. Um, but like. I don't know. I, I don't know how I felt about that characterization. I liked that the character wrestled with it, though. Uh, yeah, he definitely does. And I think like there, there is a transformative moment, too, in this character. Something that that sympathizes him very early in the movie is when, you know, he's out there hunting the freak and he keeps calling it it right. The elephant man is an it. He, I, I noticed that that all he ever calls it is it until he goes inside where Merrick lives and sees the state that he's in. And, you know, there's this close up of Anthony Hopkins with tears coming down his face. And from then on, he calls him him uh, or Mm -hmm. he or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. he refers to him as a human being, not a thing. And, you know, that's a transformative moment. And then you spend the rest of the movie with this transformed man. And uh, I guess I'll call him John Merrick because the movie does. Um. Mm -hmm. And everyone around them is still like the former Treves, right? The the people who are looking at him as a curiosity. Um, even to some degree, I think like the people who end up becoming his friends, like the actor. I, I think there is an element of curiosity that motivates her in the first place to even come visit. 100%. Yeah. Um, until like they get to speak with him, right? And And see him and appreciate him as a human being. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think like all of that is kind of told through the eyes of Anthony Hopkins more than the eyes of John Hurt in this movie. Yeah, I I agree. And I like I, I thought that you're right. Anthony Hopkins gave a great performance in that initial stage where he sees uh, John or Joseph for the first time and his eyes are full. Like He's just like gape at how detestable these conditions are. And like there's even a scene where they're speculating on whether he has any kind of sensibility. And they're mm-hmm. like, good Lord, I hope that he is like an imbecile or whatnot, because if you are a man capable of understanding the horror of your condition, it's that much worse. Right. Um, yeah. And again, all this is a super fucking offensive. Uh, and I but like it's it's told within the historical mm-hmm. framework and also in the 1980s sensibility. But there's and that's the thing. It's like there are, I think, things that are borderline offensive in this movie, for example. Yeah. Uh, and it, but this also like with Lynch being Lynch, this all could be intentional. Lynch in the first act of this movie films the elephant man as if he is a horror monster. Mm-hmm. Like you just get glimpses of him, and you hear women shrieking when they see them. And, and like you get to see a, sh- a misshapen shadow against the thing and like gasps of an audience that's watching him. And then when you actually get to know, like he's that all stops, that yeah. all stops as soon as you get to start, start to get to know John. Uh, and then he starts filming other people like their horror villains. Like I thought that mm-hmm. um, when like the night guardsman walks in and says, Oh, you can't talk. We're going to get along real well. And like that was shot as like, it was a horror monster approaching like an innocence bedroom, you know, like this is, this yeah. is Dracula stalking in from the window. So it, it like, I, but it, the fact is like to get that effect, he has to shoot John like a monster. And I think, it I, works. That's how I think it like points yeah. out the, the shame you feel of, like viewing him as a monster uh once you actually get to know him then 
retroactively you're like oh yeah i i felt the same way the movie felt about that character in the beginning he's a monster mm-hmm. he's a freak and something to be gawked at uh yeah and and by the end of this movie you're very much in a different space yeah or and, I, and it made me think about like what if would it be like to be a friend of someone who's this tragic and I, i've seen a couple times like yeah. you know people have like full body third degree burns um, or have some kind of uh, physical disfigurement or like uh, I mean, Roger Ebert a, himself ended up, you know, with there you go. Of his jaw removed. Right. And, and physical deformity at that point. Right. And kind of like, you know, a little bit of Phantom of the Opera with with that's that's a very interesting point. I would wonder what he would. I, I wonder if he ever wrote about the recollections yeah. of this, like post the, the cancer and the jaw removed and all that kind of stuff. Um, cause I remember like he f- was very self-conscious about it. Like he spent the better part of a decade essentially s- pretending like he was the same old Ebert. And then there's this like a, towards the end of his life, I remember I can't, it was in variety where he did a full face where like for the first time you see like Roger Ebert without like a mask covering or like a turtleneck pulled up below his nose or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I-, I wonder what it's like to be a friend. Like what's the process of like, cause you're like, Oh, these people are curiosity, but it's like, well, what the hell else would motivate somebody to like reach out to a person like this to befriend them? And there's got to be that awkward phase where like, you know, your fascination and kind of like revulsion is like competing with your empathy and humanity for sure. Um, and then I imagine and like you, you, you cross, that, I would think, yeah, and you probably cross a Rubicon where like you now see him as a full human and the, the, the 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 innate humanity of them and you're probably and we see this in the film where like people who were recoiling in horror in the end of the film are like are upset on john's behalf at the way people behave around him yeah like there's that scene with the uh, miss good good mo- motherhead i forget she had a crazy ass name yeah i forget her mother's name. head i think is what it is something like that Shh. You know, like at first, like Treves had brought in like, you know, an actress who was very kind to to Joseph mm-hmm. uh, and he brought the the princess and all these people and ever and his wife uh, and uh, his family who kind of like brought. But like then he started bringing other wealthy benefactors and it did feel like it was a little bit of a more urbane freak show. She calls him yeah. out on it. And that's when I think uh, Anthony Hopkins kind of as, as Dr. Treves has his little moment where he's sitting there in a chair and like, am I any better than this guy? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, sure. I treat him better, but like in terms of like how I view him as a person and not as an object. Um, yeah. And I think I like, appreciated so many of those questions are things you're supposed to be asking. Right. And they do it. Lynch here does an effective job of um, bringing in like this night's uh, whatever guardsman dude. I, forget what they call them um mm-hmm. they have a specific porter? name but whatever was it a porter yeah it, yeah like night night's porter or something like that um and he is you know doing a similar thing to what trees is doing right he's bringing people in to sort of see this curiosity he's just doing it in a much more offensive way or on the face of it offensive and i think mm-hmm. like as an audience member you're supposed to be asking uh, okay i see that like they're treating him much more poorly than Treves is treating him, but are they doing the same thing? Right. It, it, is it in effect the same yeah. thing? And when you see, you know, Hopkins sitting in a chair at night, unable to sleep because he's wrestling with the same issues. I, I think we're supposed to be thinking that. And, and the film is yeah. very effective in, in, in showing us that journey for the doctor. 
Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing is like, it does feel like it's, I don't know what it does feel like. It's more of Dr. Treve's story. And it, I guess mm-hmm. it's his memoir. So this makes sense. We're literally seeing this person through the other person's eyes. Uh, but I, I also wonder what it would look like if they had an arc about like, because clearly, as presented in the film, Joseph had his own arc where he went through and he's talked about like, you know, had m- dim memories of his mother. Um, she's not with him anymore. And, you mm-hmm. know, he has a picture of her and she's very beautiful and like what it must have been like to have a son like me. And I must have been such a disappointment to her. Um, and he like goes through his own thing where he starts seeing himself as more of a person. You know, like he 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 like I don't think he ever lost track of his own humanity, but like that that was allowed to blossom. Um, and I, but I wonder if they'd centered it more on his own acceptance of his condition. But like that's the thing that like I didn't like about the Night Porter stuff. I'd almost prefer this to be a ninety minute movie without all that bullshit. Because I kept on asking a question like, why the hell would Merrick not say anything to the kindly doctor yeah. and nurses and all that? That there's this asshole yep. clearly not doing like I, and then their answer is he wouldn't he absolutely would not have put up with that bullshit yeah but like it's almost like he's like it's it's almost going too far to making him a christ figure that he's like unwilling to say anything on his own behalf uh and advocate for himself but, uh, because why i can understand why? that early in the movie but by the time we get yes. to him dressed up in his uh, pea coat or whatever the fuck it is with his walking stick pretending to visit the queen or go out to a show yeah yeah he's gonna say something to his friend treves right and especially when the princess and him are first name basis and he's met the fucking queen he's gonna put up yeah. with this asshole parading him around and letting women hump up it it it, it, it i don't know it's just, it just feels like a mistake because mm. again i don't think the movie needed more tragedy and it just took away yeah. his own agency and it, it, it but it what it did is it gave anthony hopkins another opportunity to right charge in and save the day i think it was the third time that he had done it for for john slash joseph here yeah but like so, I, if you're at that point in the movie and you're not already feeling some sympathy for eric i don't mm-hmm. know what to say to you right like i started feeling the sympathy immediately right. with Treves seeing him for the first time because i, I love the right. way that shot it's it's Something where they show you a glimpse, right, to horrify you or whatever. Right. But then they they cut away and they don't show Merrick for more than a split second. And then they come back to Treves and his face is not shock and horror. His face is uh, empathy and sadness, right? Uh, A profound sadness for this pitiable state that this man is in. Um Mm-hmm. And that is the moment where you're supposed to start feeling something for Merrick because the the movie, the main character is telling you right. this, this you shouldn't feel like this is a freak. You should feel like this is a human in a pitiable state. And if you get another hour and a half into this movie and you don't already feel that, I don't think that this scene with the porter spinning him around and, and putting on a parade is going to change your mind. No, I don't, but I don't know. I, again, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why they changed the pacing of that stuff, because like, I think you could tell a perfectly great story about, um, I don't know, like if this movie was centered around Joseph Merrick, it would probably involve him selling, you know, sell, uh, selling his disfigurement on the open market, it getting shut down like a better, I guess a better version of this movie. And this is, you know, a pretty great movie. But a better version, I think, would show like the unintended side effects of like, okay, well, we shut the freak shows down. Great. Aren't we awesome? 
Now this guy's got to go over to the continent where like rules are not as strict. He doesn't have there's a language barrier. He's taken advantage of not like in, mm-hmm. you know, like beaten and all that kind of but just like essentially pushed to the fringes of society, right? Like push the fringe. Yeah. yeah. And, and, the, and then that could be the first act and his the second could begin with him coming back. And that's a great but I guess it makes a great third act exclamation mark like the the crowd is after him. They've chased him through yeah. the train station and they got him cornered and he's pushed down this little girl and they want blood. And he just like cows the crowd just with his own humanity. Like, I am not an animal. I am a f- human being. I am a man. Yeah, and I it kind of works. I thought that would have worked better with the porter. Honestly, I, I feel like someone who knows him, someone who's spent some time with him, because this yeah. is just a gawking crowd, right? These are right. uncaring people who are there. To, to chase down this curiosity, this freak, they're not going to be swayed by a single outburst. That's just not how that would work. But, you know, there's this Porter guy who's been through this and, and maybe you could lay some track to where he might start feeling bad. It, he might yeah. have been swayed by that. I, I don't know. Or it, like if it, it they works for the audience, where... I don't feel like it works on that crowd, though. Yeah, and they could have. I think they, if they wanted to do the evil porter th- routine, they could have had like even him, like thinking exactly. that the crowd got carried away and, and like starts like, hey, you can't fucking hump him and do a, like you're going to kill him, and kind of show to like even a guy who's as greedy and kind of unempathetic as that has been moved by this guy's nobility and whatnot. Right. But like, it just felt sensational and. um and like I said, this is completely wildly inappropriate for this point in his his development. But like I said, I I feel like they they rearranged this to do maximum tragedy. And it sucks because you've already got like the fucking lever stuck at max already. You know, he comes in his world. Max tragedy. Right. You got to turn it up to 11. I, I, didn't, I didn't get it. Yeah. It's the only real problem I have with the movie is, yeah, I just kept thinking, yeah. why wouldn't he say anything? Yeah. Because otherwise, he's just like, you know, uh, there's also like, I really love the scene just knowing, you know, as an adult, knowing what's going on here of like fucking John Hurt, one of the greatest English actors of all time doing Romeo and Juliet uh-huh. with Anne, Anne Bancroft. But as Joseph Merrick, I thought that like, I, you know, I, again, I've forgotten so much of this movie, but like that, like genuine got to me. Like, I thought that was just a beautiful scene uh, mm-hmm. and it just kind of like spontaneously happened. He just turns to a random page starts reading it i guess just to show you know kind of like i'd say always when someone gives me a book here's what i do oh even if it's a book i really want it's like oh wow it's a book and what do you do you crack it open you just start like yeah. reading a random page because like oh look i'm already enjoying it yum it's such a good book so john jo- joseph is doing that like oh all right and he ran- randomly turns around of course she's this great stage actor mm-hmm. so she he reads the first part of Romeo and she just instantly and they're doing a scene. Yeah. And how fucking sweet was that? I thought that was a really was. like, I really appreciated that as an adult. The other scene that really got me um, and it's too damn bad. It's made up, but like all the other freaks um, that like got together and pooled the resources to free uh, Joseph Merrick from his torment, his second mm-hmm. round of torment that really got to me too. Um, and it really brought me back to like American horror story freaks show because like you know it's one of those things where like those communities are incredibly tight knit knit because everyone there knows what it's like to be different in society and everyone also knows what it's like to find a place where you're treated normal um, sure. and yeah you have to get gawked at and screamed at and stuff day to day but at nighttime you're just chilling out with the freaks and you're you're enjoying the spoils of your labor and you're going to blow out of this town fuck them and go to someplace 
Um, and I, I don't know, like, as I, I feel like, again, a better movie would have like plied into that too, to like show the other side of what it's like to, you know, and have that taken away from you by society thinking that they know better. And again, I, I don't know that the answer of society is that we should have traveling freak shows. Maybe we should just take care of people who are in this pitiable position. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Without the queen commanding it. Hospitals and whatnot. Yeah. Maybe we should just take care of sick people that can't take it. But, but. Uh, I I feel like that they could have done some more stuff with that too because it's beautiful. Yeah, this movie has a lot of like I don't know if it's Lynchian things or if it's cinema of the time, but there's stuff like toward the end um, and I'm going to spoil it if you haven't seen this 40 fucking year old movie at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. At the end the uh, final scene is Merrick Having built his cathedral, he signs it. He says goodnight to his friend, Frederick uh, Treves, and Mm -hmm. then lays down in bed like a quote unquote normal person, which, Mm -hmm. of course, as the movie has told you, asphyxiates him in his sleep and he dies. That's something he's longed to do, to be like, I I wish I could just sleep like a normal. I wish I could be a normal person. And this is his kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, And he's created something of such beauty, right, from from his from his ugliness or whatever has come this great, beautiful cathedral uh, mm-hmm. and his life, I think is the metaphor here, right? He's created a beautiful life mm-hmm. with friends and he's loved. And so now he's, he's done. Um, he's ready to go. And th- there in that scene, Anthony Hopkins is like saying goodnight to him in a way that very mm-hmm. much says he knows that this is the final time he will see Merrick. And Interesting. that okay. is a very like movie esque thing to do because there's no, there's no narrative that would say, hey, he they prearranged this and he, he knows that this is his final night on Earth, that no, mm-hmm. nothing like that happens. It's just the movie needs this to be the big goodbye for these two characters. And so it has them do something unnatural here. Um, yeah. It, and I don't know if that's like Lynchian or if that's just like, you know, a way of telling a story that isn't totally realistic. I'll. I will cop to like not get like I think that's a perfectly valid read, uh, but I did not get that from that. I got that like um, it was a profound good, but but it was like you know also in that stage in the script, uh, John just had a profound experience, you know, of going through the Royal Shakespeare or whatever and getting a mm-hmm. fucking standing ovation from everybody for essentially his humanity and courage. Yeah. So it's kind of like I, I saw it as Anthony Hopkins, like he's like, look at you. And and how far you've come and what a what what a chapter being clo- like more of like a, a journey of, of some sort has been complete rather than we all. OK, now you can you can lay down like a normal person and kill yourself, Joseph. <laughs> Wink. Like, <laughs> right. But I, I think okay. I think that's a, I think that's a that's definitely um, that's definitely a read. But I, I don't know what, why I didn't get it, because like, again, I, I, I knew that was going to happen because um, yeah, like yeah. and that's the thing, like in real life he died at three o'clock in the afternoon when a doctor came in and saw him. And he's like described as kind of like sprawled over a bed. And then like Treves, who I think is guilty of sensationalizing this a bit because there's a lot of bits when he's describing like uh, Joseph's physical stature where it's like, you know, he talks about obviously the grotesque deformities and all this, but like he mentions his, I think it's his left arm. Mm -hmm. um, How like it's perfect. Like, it's like this high irony that this guy's got like a fucking arm sculpted by Michelangelo himself. It's like just fine, like an artist fingers and all. And he like goes into that. And I'm like, 
did he really have an exceptional arm? Are you just like a Victorian era doctor? It's kind of like puffing this up. And I, I mean, I, yeah. again, I think these guys were friends. But like, I, I've just always wondered that. And I think that like, because like, you know, the, the, the Dr. Treves asserted at the time and in his memoirs that he thought that that's what John did. John decided he because the other thing is like um, John was in a uh, I guess Joseph. God, this is really fucking with me. He was in a yeah. spiraling health situation mm-hmm. like he was he had a terminal condition that was going to kill him in a matter of months or years because like his breathing difficulties, his head was continuing to get bigger. The growths in his skull were continuing to grow um, is putting more and more weight on his neck and his mm-hmm. spine, giving him increasing difficulty breathing. And there's nothing they could do for him. So. I don't know. It could just be that he lost his balance one day, sprawled over, and couldn't get back. Could be that he passed out because of like. uh you know, pressure on a nerve or a blood vessel. Mm-hmm. But like this guy came in and just asserted, he just like, oh, well, he's always wanted to sleep like a normal person. So he did this as a noble way of kind of like passing on with, with, and it's, it's just like an epitaph of human dignity. Like he left yeah. on his own terms. I don't know. It's a, but it's a nice story. Yeah. And I, I keep like thinking during this movie, how much of the friendship here is like patronizing. Um, versus how much of it is genuine. It's it's sometimes hard to tell, and I think you know that's one of the things sure. that he also wrestles with. Uh, Treves is like, how much am I just, you know, pretending like the accomplishments here are are somehow worthy of a life? Um, versus like, how much do I actually believe that? And it it gets pretty tangly there in the middle of the movie. Um, by the end, I think they're definitely friends. I think like once he. Maybe that's the thing that, you know, casting him out into Europe at large kind of serves to do is to make you understand Mm -hmm. that John is or or, sorry, not John uh, Treves is very much a friend of his and he's very concerned when that happens. It's not just something where, you know, he's lost his his freak or whatever. Right. Uh Uh The star attraction. Yeah, it definitely helps when he comes back um, and, you know, everybody comes running. Yeah, um, I think you're right. And like, you're right. It's it's very like it's especially because you here you go. Like you're at three different lenses, man. You're looking at a film of a memoir of a dude in the 19th <laughs> century that clearly thought he was a pretty good guy. Yeah. You know, and like also like even if if you, you could go back and resurrect Joseph and be like, Joseph, what do you think of Dr. Treves? Oh, he's my best friend. He took care of me. And Treves, what you think of? Oh, he's just no. What the fuck does that even mean when mm-hmm. you're talking about in terms of social class, which was a big thing, still a big thing uh, in terms of like, you know, the you, you said patronizing. That's, that's the perfect word for it. Like, how could he not be? Um, but it's like, yeah, it's like it's it's really hard when you because even then, like I'm I'm judging this film from 2021 a lot harsher than I would have if I'd seen it as an adult in 1980, because I've learned sure. a lot about, you know, the way the, the the way the world works. So it's like it's really fraught, you know, <laughs> like, and at times if you're saying, the- oh, it's just a this patronizing relationship it, that almost seems like how how would you prove to me that it's not right? Like, yeah, I I don't know. It's. Yeah, that, that's a tough thing. It's the, uh, the isn't it? They call that like the paradox of altruism. Like, yeah. are you being are you doing altruistic it to make yourself feel good, or because you feel it makes you feel good, and everybody tells you what a great guy you are? You just do it because it's the right thing to do, right? And, and if it does make think, you feel good, should should you feel guilty about that and actually feel right, bad yeah. about that? Like, should you try to like d- just just root all those feelings from your heart? It's like ah, fuck, I don't know. But like, it's uh, messy. But ultimately, like, if you're doing good, 
that's what matters, right? It's it's not necessarily like your motivations. It's actions. Um, yeah. Are you helping people? And, I, and that's the thing. That's the human story. Is like even no matter what nurse and what doctor and what they thought about this guy when he first came into hospital, I think they all valued him as a human being at the end. Because how could you not? How could yeah. you not? And that, that's 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 just a human truth. Like there's very few people that are so fucking broken and so fucking damaged and so fucking just mean spirited that if you got to know them, you wouldn't be like, oh yes, yeah, is a you know, my friend, so-and-so. Um, and I think that's mm-hmm. that part of the story still, still really tracks. Um, and there's a lot, there's a lot of like, it's a little, I've heard it mawkish as a term kind of like it's overly sentimental. And I definitely can see that criticism in the film, but again, it's like, shit, man, this is legit tragic and romantic in the green and a green Gable sense of the word. They even talk about like, you know, the elephant man discovers what romance means and a, a girl kisses the him theater. on the cheek and mm-hmm. a theater and all that. Like you can be, be someone that you're not. You can escape to that kind of thing. That stuff is all it, it, it's it's universal and it all really works. I do want to talk about the David Lynch bullshit. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Mel Brooks produced this film and I've, uh, by all accounts, like fought for it. Like, uh, mm-hmm. David Lynch wanted to do this black and white for Lynchian bullshit reasons or though, although, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Is, Max, uh, let me ask you this. Is Eraserhead black and white? Cause I haven't seen that. I'm pretty sure it is. Cause I haven't okay. seen it either. That's but the movie I, he did right before this. That was his first feature. And this Raging Bull is black and white too. Oh yeah. Uh, so like there, this isn't this this might have been a thing. And then like, but but like there's that. But so so Mel Brooks fought for all this. Mel Brooks, I guess, fought for the score to be how he wanted it. Mel Brooks fought for um uh the the David Lynchian like the the weird elephant sequence at the beginning, uh Star Child sequence at the end. Uh, and also fought to have his name removed from the film because he didn't want people coming into this and thinking this is going to be fucking blazing saddles or high anxiety. Right. So fucking everyone already. If you didn't know already, Mel Brooks is a fucking minch. Hmm. But why? Why the elephant? Because like, I guess that is this is something that Joseph Merrick believed about himself. Mm hmm that his mother was frightened by an elephant while she was carrying him. And somehow that psychically charged the birth and gave him his, like, that's something he genuinely believed. And I guess researchers have looked and there was a story about an elephant that went on a rampage in the place that he was born in like 1858, about the right time that she would be. If so, like this might be literally true that an elephant rampage scared his mom she told Joseph that and Joseph thought that. But in the in, in, in as a filmmaker, in the 1980s, are you seriously suggesting that that's literally what happened? Because that's what that sequence is doing, right? It, it is. It definitely is, because like in my notes, I'm writing is this how his mom died? And and I think they might even say as much. There's some incident in like Africa that. Yeah, I, I don't know. The, the movie might yeah, say that. Yeah, yeah. The thing that I think, okay, and I'm not going to, you might never hear me say this again. I think this is one of those instances where Lynchian bullshit works pretty well because Hmm. his, I I mean, obviously Merrick's name is the elephant man in his, his uh, gnome, the plume, whatever it's called. Uh, Stage name, let's say um, the elephant man, you know, there's incident with his mother, whether it happened or not. Uh, he definitely has it in his mind that he is this elephant looking freak. Um, and 
he believes that he was a great disappointment to his mother. He believes that who knows, maybe even he caused her death somehow. Uh, Mm. He has a lot of guilt and shame tied up in that, in his appearance. And I think like when they hold this mirror up to him, when they do the elephant stuff, laying it over her face, when they Mm -hmm. like every time they show that you're just reminded of how much this idea tortures Merrick. Interesting. Okay. And, and I think that works well. I, I, I definitely like, yeah, I don't want to give Lynch no credit because I think this metaphor works pretty well in his other movies. I don't understand half the fucking metaphors he's going for. Uh, right. But here I thought it worked pretty well. It's interesting because I, I like that because I didn't quite get, but like I didn't quite get where he was going with it because I just kept on like, you know, what is he actually trying to say here? The end is made more sense. He's literally going to heaven to be with his mother. Something yeah, he yeah. wanted to do. Um, but in an in interspersed in the middle, there's these weird scenes where like David Lynch, I think, is trying to say something about industrialization because there's a little bit of yeah. a moralizing with Anthony Hopkins like oh, another machine injury. Look at this grisly thing that it's doing to the human form. These machines are dangerous, I tell you. Right. And, and a then lot like, of like every- coal, but shots of like coal dust being spewed into the atmosphere. Coal right? being or spewed, like- but also like every, and, and they were all they seemed like they were packaged with the night porter coming to torment him. Yeah. And I wonder and there's shots of like men stripped down to the waist, like as human machinery, like, you know, doing these automated yeah. tasks. And you could tell like what kind of drudgery. I mean, this was like <laughs> you know, unrestrained capitalism, you know, <laughs> back yeah. in the day. Uh, and I was wondering whether he's trying to say that like, this was what, like, like what the night Porter was doing was a result of like the coarsening of society because people were being treated as cogs. But like, it's my understanding that like people have been treated as cogs since we decided to start grow- putting seeds in the ground and doing agriculture. Yeah. Like it's no longer the individual. It's more like, yeah, there's definitely important individuals. They're the ones wearing the crowns and the feathered headdresses and doing all that. But like you people in mass don't me- ma- matter one goddamn thing other than the guarantee to perpetuate. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I certainly the Industrial Revolution heightened a lot of that and like concentrated mm-hmm. it into like singular areas of misery. But like, I don't know, maybe maybe that's what he's going for. What did you think? Uh, yeah, that could certainly be the message. Um, and I understand how people, you know, who weren't around for like the French revolution or the building of the pyramids or shit like that might feel like, oh damn, we got it rough, but we probably have it better Uh than almost any time in history with maybe rare exception on this planet. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, certainly that could be the message here because I was feeling it too. I was like, oh, okay, there's something ugly under the surface here that's causing you know society to reject the elephant right and the other thing about the the my my last word on the lynchian quote-unquote bullshit is that i had in my notes like it's 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 instructed that we saw this right after we saw raging bull because the black and white the slow-mo almost psychedelic uh shots of like people screaming and animal noises that features really heavily in raging bull too. Yeah. So the the soundscapes in both of these movies are fairly similar. similar. Yeah. And I wondered like, I wonder if there was something in the air about like, that is kind of like these guys, both, you know, Martin Scorsese and I know you don't like David Lynch, but he's well regarded as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's something that was just kind of like of the era, but like I I had a hard time condemning, like even if I didn't understand some of it, because I thought the industrial stuff tracked, 
Um, I'm like, well, I can't really, you know, ride much against it because I really loved it in, in Raging Bull. And I didn't mind it in this. The only one I thought was really bizarre was the intro scene. Um, yeah, I like the stuff where he's walking down the street toward the Elephant Man. And, and, and I think the breathing when, when Merrick is kind of leaving, you know, that, that space and, and taking the taxi mm-hmm. to the hospital, all of that stuff is... Mm-hmm. I want to say there are animal sounds laid over that. Maybe elephants breathing, yeah. things like that. Right, could be, could be. Uh, and I thought it was effective. Yeah, um, I will say that like as bad. I, I thought that Night Porter stuff was all bad, and I didn't like it. And I think the movie would be stronger without it. But it did give the, mo- the movie a big moment of triumph where Anthony Hopkins confronts the guy, and he's like, "You don't got shit on me. You can't do anything. Only mother, only Mrs. Motherhead can sack me." And then she's there right on cue to fucking waylay him with like a 10 pound sack of flour or something and be like well that's it's like a down abbey like mrs hughes beat up the town bully and everybody's like fuck yeah mrs hughes uh it's almost worth it because i i I did feel a lot of visceral triumph over that guy getting sacked Mm -hmm. literally with a flour sack (laughs) but uh i i really did i really did like that whatever you think of this movie it was definitely a success um it had a five million dollar budget. The box office was twenty six million, so made a good, healthy amount of money. And I'm sure people liked that, uh, especially Lynch. I'm sure he got to make a lot of movies off the back of this thing. Um, and it was nominated for eight Academy Awards. It didn't win any. I guess like Raging Bull kind of soaked up a few, and Ordinary People sure. and Tess um, got some of the other ones. But yeah, um, it was mostly well regarded with the exception of a few critics, maybe notable ones like Roger Ebert. Yeah. And I, again, I, I understood a hundred percent. Like I thought Roger was pretty ungracious giving it two out of four stars. But like everything he wrote in it is absolutely on the screen. All the things he didn't like is there. And that's what I love about Roger is like, I don't agree with his review, but Holy fuck. Like, you know, he painted a picture of why it turned him off and like, yeah, I can totally see why that would happen. Um, I also the other thing I thought was fun in like a the Nick kind of way is like the early the late 19th century surgical scene. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I couldn't believe I was like, because I thought this was taking place way later and I saw them without masks during surgery. I'm like, when oh, is no this? Masks, no gloves, no electricity. Even this is right yeah. before electricity. Uh, All these gas they're... lamps built into the ceiling, right? Which are just pipes with pilot yeah. lights on them that they turn with, the with gas light, up yeah. or down. And and like the anesthesiologist is literally just a dude with a cloth with a with a cotton cloth and a dropper of ether. Hey, this guy's moaning. <laughs> Hit drop, him drop, again, drop, drop. He's back to sleep. It's like, I mean, your your point about like what what time you want to be alive, not be alive. Like anesthesia is pretty fucking nice. Like I, ten years ago, this man. guy would have just died screaming, and now he's got a shot. Like, yeah, you have a better shot if you fuckers wash your hands. Gown up and right. like put some coughing into his so body not, cavities. Yeah, so you're not just like using his <laughs> using his body cavity like a fucking spittoon. Uh-huh. But like, yeah, like I, I just thought that stuff is super cool. And like they even had like I don't even know how they would do with that electricity, but they had like the cauterizing machine they were using on mm-hmm. them. They must have uh, it sitting in like, the fire, right? And then just I wonder. Pull it off the fire there was a tube to it, it though. You. Like maybe it was like a, a boiler a was pumping power? it full of hot steam or something. Oh. Hmm. Um, but maybe, know. yeah, maybe they just kept it in a brazier or something. And that was just a cord to keep it from dropping on the floor. But I, I just, I, that was my favorite part about the Nick is like just seeing mm-hmm. the dawning of modern science. And that's kind mm-hmm. of like, I think, cause this is supposed to be in the 1880s. 
maybe early yeah. 1890s. So it's like it's right there. Like they're going to get their shit together in right. three years. You will, I mean, they're about cars. The electricity's coming. Uh, X rays are coming in like ten years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to get their shit together and start start modern medicine. But it's it's like it's still you can still see the this is the missing link. This is the yeah. fish with lungs uh, flopping on the on the land. Uh, but man, it's such a great scene. I don't. I don't even like. There's one piece of equipment. I don't know what the fuck is happening. There's these dudes at the guy's feet. They're just like spraying two streams of water. That like what the hell was that? I don't this guy know. Had his bag and he's just like pushing in like two streams of like we like like squirt gun water. I'm like, is this like bathing the surgical area or I just don't like know. suction? Just yeah. his, like just to get the maybe, blood out of the way. I, 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 I don't know. But it's like it's like a turret six feet away from a surgery site to just spray like like uh, like windshield wiper spraying. Stuff. Maybe it's so, alcohol. Maybe it's a disinfectant. I wondered that. Yeah. If they're just like kind of hosing the cavity down with it like that. God damn. That sounds brutal. Like just. <laughs> right. Just pour pure alcohol in this guy's gaping chest wound. Yeah, when he wakes up yeah. screaming, hit him with ether. He's out again. Right, Good. right. It's going to kill everything in there, including half the <laughs> well patient. Done. But uh, he's well going to die Doc. of infection. We're going to pickle him. <laughs> uh, the, the, yeah, oh, the other historical, uh, uh, it, it, I guess, oddity here or curiosity was seeing a young Anthony Hopkins yes we were youngest i've ever seen him yeah we were talking about this before the podcast a little bit and looking up his age he's fucking old uh right now he's 84 or something Mm -hmm. uh and in this movie he's still not like super young he's 43 i guess he had been acting for 20 years before this movie was made uh Mm -hmm. and, and i went through his filmography and i was looking at okay what what are the big movies i've seen him in i realized that i've only seen six of his movies of his entire like 90 plus uh, credit catalog. And three of those are Thor movies in the last decade. So like I've really only seen silence of the lambs, this and Zorro mask of Zorro. Yeah. I haven't seen that many more. Like I've seen a couple of the Hannibal Lecter sequels. Uh, Amistad. Isn't he in that too? Yeah, he is. Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, I, okay. I've seen a couple. Like maybe I've seen that. Like uh, Legends of the Fall, Meet Joe Black, because he had a tear like right yeah. after um, uh, uh, the, the fuck Silence of the Lambs, where mm-hmm. like he had this re- cultural resurgence. And then he had another tear like after Zorro, where he yeah. kind of went on a, 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 a renaissance tour. And I don't know, maybe he's got one more in him after Westworld. Um, but you're right. I never like I because I, I, I when you said that, like, I've never seen him anything before this. I'm like, huh. I wonder if I like that's just a me thing, but I looked and I guess this is kind of like his big coming out. Like he had hmm. been well regarded and work with uh, Richard uh, uh, Attenborough. Um, oh, okay. He had done a couple of films back in the 60s and 70s, um, but like guess you know, they were supporting roles. This is like kind of his first st- starring role hmm. that he hit it big in America. Um but uh, yeah, it's the youngest I've ever seen him in anything. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to see a 24 year old Anthony Hopkins playing Rich and the Richard, the King Richard, the Lionhearted. Like, yeah, because <laughs> he's already, you know, he's starting to lose his hair and this getting gray into temples like, you know, you can see in another 10 years, he's going to be Anthony Hopkins. And, <laughs> uh, right. Silence of the Lambs, Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, but it's uh, it's only I think it's the only thing I've seen Anne Bancroft in other than The Graduate, right? Wasn't she Mrs. Robinson in The Graduate? 
I don't remember. Maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, and that's the thing is like I thought she would be a bigger role. I was expecting her to be Mrs. Mother's Head or something because mm-hmm. she's just really kind of kind of in and out on that stuff. She's the actor, right? Um, yeah, the actor woman. Okay. So yes, she was. She was Mrs. Robinson in the Graduate. Uh, all right. Well, that's the Elephant Man. I'm finally. I'm glad we found a David Lynch film that you didn't absolutely hate, Jim. Yeah. I like I like this movie and I like the soundtrack from Lost Highway. That's about all the Lynch I can handle. <laughs> I haven't seen Dune though. Maybe maybe if I watch Dune, uh, what I don't do you think, think that's the one to turn. No. See, that's the whole the whole reason I think you hate Dune <laughs> is because you know David Lynch directed a shitty version of it in nineteen eighties. And it's true. Hey, Lynch Dune fans, I'm just saying that for Jim's benefit. I yeah. really like the film. I don't think it's a successful film. <laughs> it's a really good visual dictionary for Dune. But I fucking love it for what it is, man. Get off my fucking back. I'm really looking forward to the Denevenue one that we're about to be treated to. And maybe I can one day talk this guy into seeing it. But yeah, uh, yeah, I wouldn't recommend Dune to you. Maybe. But no, like I was like, I think the Twin Peaks stuff is fascinating, but I think you'd hate it just because it's pure undiluted. Well, we we watched that. Mention. What did we watch for a commission? Somebody commissioned part of Twin like Peaks, three the episodes. Movie? It, it was like the oh, first okay. two episodes. Maybe it was like the first the first two episodes, the last one in the movie. Something like that. There's some kind of weird package deal like that. Yeah. Yeah. Not a fan. Uh, Didn't like it. Okay. Didn't like I've, it. I've heard that I need to read the first Dune book. And then not it's any good, of the others. I mean, it's a really good book. Um, okay. It takes a while to get going, but it's a really fucking ripping yarn. I just re- recently reread it because I thought pre-pandemic we had seen the movie like a, a year ago. But uh, right. Yeah. It's a well-regarded science fiction novel. Maybe I'll give good. it a shot and just forget that, that David Lynch was ever associated with Dune. Just look at it as some cool sci-fi stuff and then watch. Take the, your eraser head and just erase that memory from your memory yeah. banks. And it's just uh, one of the all-time great science fiction novels being adapted by a filmmaker that you really like and has a good cast. Yeah. <laughs> All right, progress. We've made progress we'll here people. We'll see. On the Elephant Man podcast. Uh <laughs> that's it for this week. Come back next week we'll have another great prestige film for you. Uh, until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. I'll see you. <laughs>